Did you know that you are the mid-season finale for the Flowdown season one? Ooh, mid-season finale, no. <laughs> the final countdown. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode three of The Flowdown. This is a podcast featuring conversations with Three Rivers students, faculty, and staff. My name is Andrew Marvin. I teach English at Three Rivers. And my guest today is none other than Alicia Ziegler. Alicia is an advocate, pizza snob, event planner, girl boss, and craft hobbyist. Alicia, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Professor Marvin. You're very Andrew. Well. How do you want... How do you want people to, like, I would call you Andrew, but if students are listening, it should be Professor Marvin, right? Right. I feel like you do a great job of threading that needle, because in the hallway, I know you use the professor, yes. but in your emails, we've gotten to a point where it's on a first name basis. Yes. So I think you're correct okay. in your use cases. Awesome. Yes. So I'm going to probably interchange them then, okay. depending on the topic. Yeah, All depending right. on the topic. I think that sounds good. Do you teach classes here? Have you taught classes? I do. Classes? Okay. <laughs> uh, I adjunct math, uh, of all things. So our, it used to be 095i, but now it's 0988. So the reason I really like adjuncting that course specifically is because it's, not only is it foundational, but it also really weaves in a lot of real world examples into the course. So it gives students an opportunity that like, don't like math or hate math or like math is not for me the option to see how it actually applies to their real life. And um, they don't believe me at first, but I've had some really good successes. And actually last semester in May, I had my first student in one of my classes graduate. It was pretty, pretty incredible. Congratulations. That's wonderful. Thank you. That sounds like the math class for me. Yes. In terms of real world applications. Yes. And it's always very fulfilling, obviously, to see a student that you had graduate yeah it was like uh, everybody kind of talked about how that feeling was for them uh but it really it was kind of like like i did something like this student is walking across the stage because i played a part in their academic journey and that's that's really something special mm -hmm. and i was glad i got to experience that yeah absolutely i feel like it's sort of um not to toot our own horns sorry as instructors but you know i'm happy to <laughs> to sort of for it to kind of be like a unspoken good work. Like in, in other words, like to put it in a real concrete situation, like is that a student that after the ceremony you took pictures with and stuff, or was it just sort of like a quiet internal for yourself? That was one of my people. She actually caught me in the hallway. Cause I'm, you know, commencement day. I'm like running around like a crazy person. So she actually caught me on her way and in the hallway and she thanked me and gave me a big hug. We both cried. Uh, but when she walked across the stage, it was kind of like um, that like solitude moment for me. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. That's great. I think about that relationship between teacher and student a lot. It's nice when those certain students really stick with you and, uh, and you maintain a relationship long term, even beyond graduation. No, absolutely. And like... You also don't recognize like the ripple effect that we have when it comes to our work in the classroom and even outside of the classroom. You know, these students may be with us for just this short amount of time, but those connections that they make help shape what they're doing when they leave here. And like maybe being kind to them and giving them a break on an assignment helps to remind them when they have an employee who's struggling to, you know, give that same opportunity. So it's I think it's creating this 
multiplied impact of kindness, compassion, camaraderie, collegiality. Um, and these, I mean, some of these students, you, a lot of faculty don't even realize the impact they do have. And I mean, I hear it upstairs in the F wing, like, and I'll use you for an example, cause you're here. Like my students rave about you, like students who have had you students who have, like students will always say, Oh, you need to take an English class, professor Marvin. Absolutely. And like that stuff really matters to other students. You know, students talk about you're a very fair grader, but you have expectations. So like students know what they're getting into before they even walk into your classroom sometimes. So they're there because they want to be there and then because they want to be with you in that moment and in that coursework. I appreciate you saying that. It's uh, something that I do think about. Even when you have a great class, nobody except for the students are there, you know, and so it's not, you know, you're going up for promotion or you, you, it's like nobody sees the brilliant class that I just taught about Shakespeare. But the students, I think, do notice and they do talk about that sort of mm-hmm. thing because I think the instructor makes a big difference in their classroom experiences. Absolutely. The instructor, how the instructor teaches, how the student learns, because like not like everybody is not for everybody. And just because a student doesn't do well in your class, it doesn't necessarily mean you're not doing your level best as an instructor, as a professor, right? It's maybe that, that that student's learning needs don't meet how you teach or how you lecture. So students also take that into consideration. It's like, well, you know, I'm a process by example student. Okay, well, then taking a class with Kelly Mulkentine might be great for you because she does a lot of that in math. Or I'm somebody who's just an auditory learner. So having somebody who just lectures would work for that student. And they have those conversations, which I think is incredible. And it also shows how much this community knows about each other, that they're having those conversations. Yeah. I feel like we've gotten really (laughs) profound really quickly. So thank you for that. I think it takes a lot of pressure off of us to be life changers for every Mm -hmm. single student that we encounter. And the other thing that you acknowledge is that different instructors do serve different individuals and do bring different things to the classroom. Also, you want to make sure that you're having, like, we also want to look at the success of our students, right? Our goal is to get them to graduation. And how we do that is to make sure that they pass their classes, you know, that they feel like they belong on campus to do the extracurricular stuff that I, you know, I heavily participate in. But if we're having students in our classes that don't, that we don't meet their learning needs, like what what is that doing for them? It's creating, you know, barriers for them to graduate. It's, you know, in making a lot of folks feel disheartened or discouraged. So we want to have those conversations, you know, but we also talk about you're going to get to a point where there's only going to be one professor. So you also do have to be adaptable in your learning abilities. You might have to take extra notes. You might need to sit in the front row because we know what happens when you sit in the back row sometimes. I'm talking to you back row kids. You got to maybe ask to record the class. You know, you need to also understand how you're set up and how you learn. Like I'm not a back of the classroom student. I get way too distracted too easily by what everybody else is doing. I'm a front row student. And I think that that is so incredibly important for people to understand. Like while yes, it is your, it is, it is our professor and instructor's jobs to to give us some material. It's also our responsibility as students 
to absorb that material and learn it in the way that we know how to do that for ourselves. Yes. And you can only, some students talk, but some students might just, you know, be told oh, this one fits with your schedule. Take it without any consideration of who is at the front of the classroom, which is fine. But uh, yeah, I think you can't control, I mean, you can try to express, you know, your needs or what helps you to the instructor. But I think having ownership over those sort of metacognitive stuff about how you learn effectively, you know, I'm not a back row person. Taking ownership of that stuff, I think goes a long way. It does. You know, but it's also, if you get distracted, silencing your cell phone, or, you know, if your technology is going to be too difficult for you, you know, investing in understanding how to take good notes, and notes that work for you. Like I have this one student, love him dearly. He comes to math class and his notebook is like three inches tall by three inches wide. I'm like, how 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 is that going to be effective for this math course? And he's doing all right. So I guess the three inch by three inch notebook works for him. Uh, but other students take, you know, copious notes and have loose leaf binders. So you, you just need to figure out the tools that work for you so that you know what you need to show up to class with to get the job done. Absolutely. I wanted to, I always, not always, this is only episode three, but I want to make sure that I remember to ask you to tell us about your path to Three Rivers, because I feel like, I can't remember you not being here. How did you get to this moment? So I do live here. If you go upstairs, uh, there's a cot under my desk Mm -hmm. uh, with a pillow and a blanket. Uh, But how I got to Three Rivers, so... I've had a lot of odd jobs. Uh, my student workers laugh at me because I always refer to the things that I've done before Three Rivers as my past lives. So I'm like, oh, in a former life, I worked in radio. In a former life, I was a dog groomer. In a former life, you know, I was a veterinary assistant. In a former life, I was a paint pro at Home Depot. So, you know, my my path here was really, I wasn't ready for college post high school. Um, I tried and I failed out my first time. Uh, I was rather I would rather hang out in the corner uh there I went to Middlesex Community College in New Jersey which sometimes people can hear like the New York New Jersey slur that I have going on and there was this place it was called the corner because it was this giant corner of the college that had couches and tables and I used to hang out with a bunch of students and we played cards all day that's not how you get an education friends um so I I dropped out because I was like this I would rather just hang out with people well that meant I needed to get a job And in order to live in America, you need pretty much more than one job to pay your bills and to like feel like you don't have to struggle. But that leads to like having two and three jobs, which means missing family functions, which means missing milestones for people that you may love, which means missing out on doing things that that fill your cup. So I actually was a paraprofessional at Ledger Middle School. And I had a group of seventh graders I started with. I was only there for two years, and I was with them for seventh and eighth grade. And those kids inspired me to come back to Three Rivers, and I still keep in touch with quite a few of them. They reminded me that it was time for me to invest in myself. And I was also tired of working two and three jobs. I was exhausted, and I had no room for things that made me happy. So I came to Three Rivers wanting to be a special ed teacher. And then I actually, my first semester, I was a parking lot to class to parking lot student. I'm not proud to admit that. Uh, but it was hard because I was navigating two full-time jobs and a part-time, well, a full-time job, a full-time job, which was also college, and then another part-time job on top of that. And 
my second semester, Professor Janet Hagen actually um, encouraged myself and another student to get involved in club life. And that was when like I had my aha moment. And I was like, wow, I can take two things that I love more than anything in the world, which is event planning and working with students. And like that can be a job. But there was a lot of things that brought me to that moment. You know, so my job in radio really, really fulfilled the piece of myself that was event planning. Um, I got to do meet and greets with artists. I got to run, you know, ticket giveaways. I got to run uh, boards for our live broadcasts. I got to go out to events with our DJs to help set up live remote broadcasts. You know, and I really got to do a lot of, put my hands on a lot of different things. And I loved that event piece. But I didn't have that, the piece of myself that loved working with people. Like the people I worked with were great, but they were always the same people every single day. Whereas working with students, I got that diverse piece I was looking for because every year you get new folks. So then working in the schools, I was like, I could do this. Like I could see myself being a K through 12 educator. I could do this. But then I came here and I just fell in love. I fell in love with higher ed. I fell in love with student activities and I fell in love with community college. This place is is really magical. Um, and can be magical for so many. You just have to find your thing here. Do you feel in talking about those past lives, we kind of joked about this a little bit before (laughs) we started recording, in looking back at them in retrospect, because it's so easy in the moment to feel like despair about like, what am I doing here? What is this is I'm wasting my time. I don't enjoy doing this or whatever. But in looking back at them, do you feel more positive in that, oh, in retrospect, it all contributed to where I am now, or it all, you know, worked out the way it was supposed to, quote unquote. A hundred percent. I'm also a big believer that everything happens for a reason. You know, when doors close, they're meant to close. When doors open for you, try to walk through them if you can. Everything that I, that I, that I did in my life did lead me to this point. Because I also learned a lot of things about myself. When I left high school, I was a C student. I loved art and theater and music. And that was the stuff that like fueled me and that really helped me through so many things in my in my very young adult life. Because, you know, at 18, I was I was navigating some really uncomfortable family things. And then, you know, my all of my my jobs helped teach me things that I needed. So, you know, working my job in radio really taught me about scheduling and understanding what that looked like because I'd sometimes have to be in at five o'clock in the morning to do traffic. And sometimes I'd have to be at work at night to do remote broadcasts. So I need to, I needed to adjust my schedule, which also meant adjusting like my life schedule. So if I had a doctor's appointment or I had to run an errand, I had to make sure I knew when that was happening. Doing you know, my job as a, as a paint pro, right, at Home Depot, that really taught me about working with people and helping people get to the thing that they needed. Because sometimes it would be somebody coming in wanting to color match something and making sure that that job was complete and they left with a product that they were happy with. You know, or helping a couple pick colors for their, their tiny human's nursery. You know, you want to ensure that the product that you're putting out is good. Uh, working with students, 
helped to teach me about compassion and about kindness and about empathy. Not that those were things I didn't have, but younger humans like need those things. Middle middle school, I always say it's a war zone. Like those kids are hormonal. They're like discovering themselves. So like it's a it's a, I, I give middle school teachers so much credit. Not that K through 12 is is easy in any respect, but middle school, really kids are starting to figure out who they are. And it also taught me about understanding kids that come from different areas. Like I had some students that didn't understand what putting on deodorant was like um, and having to have those uncomfortable conversations about hygiene, which I'm, I'm still not great at, but also kindness in how those students showed up for each other and showed up for me every day. Like I had a student once who knocked over my cup of coffee, which they were like, oh, you knocked over Miss Z's coffee. You're going to be in trouble. We know she loves her coffee. And I was just like, you know, it, it's not a big deal. I can go make a new one. But the next day, like him and his mom went out and got me a $5 gift card to replace that cup of coffee. Like how incredible is that? So, you know, I think that by the time I came back here, I was ready. I was ready to be an A student, which some of my classes, I still got Bs, even though I tried really hard. Uh, but I put my best foot forward. I think that it really, it comes down to your life prepares you for the next thing that you're going to do, and it, or it should anyway. Um, and I've taken lessons from all of those things. My life experience is shaping where I am today. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Thank you. So went to, attended Three Rivers as a student, mm-hmm. graduated yep. from Three Rivers. How did you go from Three Rivers graduate to Three Rivers employee? So I had um, a really great mentor, uh, Rhonda Spaziani. She was the director of student activities for a really long time. And uh, when I was graduating Three Rivers, I was going to UConn. So she um, bartered to get me to stay on as a student worker. And then because I had graduated with my associates, they posted a 17-hour EA position. And I was able to get that job. And then when I graduated from UConn with my bachelor's, uh, Rhonda was looking to transition to faculty. And uh, because of that, I was asked to step in as an, in an interim position with Rhonda's blessing and recommendation. And she really helped to kind of foster and nurture the person that I am today. Then just this past March, I, the the search completed for my job, and I, I have it officially. Congratulations. So, thank you. Thank you. So Rhonda played a really big, a really big part in that. She she saw my love of student activities and my love of throwers. Um, and if it wasn't for her, I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be where I am right now. Thanks, Rhonda. Good work. Right. Thank you, Rhonda. <laughs> so your current title is Director of Student Activities. Yes. I've been thinking about this recently in terms of kind of like what you were saying before about scheduling and time management and thinking about, you know, in my position, there's way more context switching than it would first appear because you're teaching classes, but you're also preparing for classes, but you're also doing administrative stuff, responding to email, you know, looking at students' performances, um, attending committee meetings, you know, there's just a lot more than just teaching the classes. Why did I bring that up is the question. (laughs) Oh, because what I wanted to know is in your role as director of student activities, what is the sort of what is the people imagine English professor, they kind of have a sense of what that person does during the day, even though it might be more varied than we think. What does a day in the life of Alicia, director of student activities look like? I really am so happy you brought this question up. 
So many people barely like, brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> we got there. We 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 took a detour through the forest, but we're here now. Um, so a lot of people sometimes look at my role and I really think that they think like I'm the balloon and popcorn lady or like, oh, they just throw events. But my job is so much more than that. I'm providing leadership trainings for students. I'm helping students navigate sometimes really difficult things in their in their lives. There is not one single day in my office that is the same. There things come up all the time that just, you know, sometimes uh, are able we're able to go with the flow or they create chaos. Um, I'm very thankful and lucky. Huge shout out to my team, uh, Brooklyn, Hiram, Sam Reen, Joel, Danny, and then Jordan, who I could not do anything without Jordan. That human is a godsend. They ensure that I'm able to do the things that I need to do. So they often take on the responsibility of like making sure our events are prepped and ready and sorting through all the things to make sure we've hit that event checklist. While I'm more of the kind of bigger picture, helping to plan the event, but also making sure that, you know, we've sent the email to facilities for the space, contacting IT for the IT support, uh, getting a hold of Jess if we've got to figure out something with, you know, parking spaces. But I'm also, I also serve on a lot of committees. So sometimes my job weaves into my committee work. I oversee the DEI efforts. So sometimes it's not just planning events for students, it's also planning DEI events for students, faculty, and staff. Overseeing the student food pantry, uh, which even though I oversee them is completely student-run and student-led. They tell me what they need and I just give it to them. But it's, I mean, it, it could be, it could be a multitude of anything. It could be getting called into a meeting. It could be, you know, sitting all day and doing like prep work with Jordan. But I mean, it could literally be anything. It could be answering emails. It could be, uh, you know, sitting with a student who's struggling with something. I mean, no one day is the same. Yeah. And you love it that way. (laughs) I do. I love it that way. I try to be, um, as I'm sure we all do, we try to be intentional with our time, Mm -hmm. you know, and especially at this point late in the semester, I have a pretty good sense of you know, I've got class from this time to this time, from this hour to this hour. I'm going to grade as many papers as I can from this hour to this hour. I have to, you know, do this and that. To what degree do you have, I don't mean the word reactionary in a negative way, but to what degree do you know what to expect, I guess, coming in on a day? So, like, it depends on the where we are on the academic semester. So this is the point in the academic semester that I start to see my student leaders unraveling. And it's a lot of like, are you going to the tutoring center? Have you talked to your professors? What are your assignments looking like? You know, and kind of uh, working th- working them through that rather than their student leader piece. Uh, so we have a saying up in student programs, you are a student before you are a student leader and you are a person before you are a student. So if, the th- if your studentship is where you're struggling, then that's what you need to focus on and not your student leader pieces. And if you're if you're struggling as a human and as a person, then like we need to kind of put a pause on your your student stuff and your student leader stuff. Um, so helping them kind of navigate through those things. And then sometimes uh, like also having connections with people and knowing where to send folks. Oftentimes it's triage, so sending them, walking them down to Dean Kitchell's office or to Kelsey's office or Miss Moss Savage's office, walking them down to advising, walking them to the registrar. 
it could be a lot of a lot of things. So I try to build in this half of the semester times where I'm not scheduled to do stuff. So I'll block my calendar. So this way, if a student comes in and does have something, I can help them out. It's also my student leaders who are scrambling because they planned an event and then forgot that they needed to do all of these other things. And they're like, oh, my God, I need to order pizza and buy all of these things. And I'm like, you're lucky I have Amazon Prime. So, you know, at the end of the semester, it's it's a lot of that. But at the beginning of the semester, it's a lot of like setup. So how are you, you know, you're, you've taken on being the president of this club, the secretary of this club. You're also taking a four credit, um, you know, a 15 credit load. What are you doing to make sure that you're planning plenty of study time, also working in your club time, maybe your job, and then um, doing stuff that's for you. So looking at time management. And then we get to the, after the November break, where I start to see my student workers who have just really decided to YOLO all of that. Um, And I kind of have to like make some phone calls and things for folks. So I try to build in time for all of that. That's great to hear that. It's really comforting, I guess, to to know that there are conversations about their identity and their humanity. And I love that prioritization of person first, then student, then student leader. Um, And it's good to know that we are broadcasting that you are available. (laughs) Yes. I mean, and it's not just myself. Like I know that Dean Kitchell has been incredibly instrumental in bringing things to campus and creating a, a culture of asking and, you know, for, for not being scared to ask for help. Our advising team is incredible. I mean, I've, I've never had such great interactions with advising folks. Like hey, you know, this student is struggling in my class and they're like, I'm on it. Like, I'll take care of it. Or I have a, I have this student, I know that they're on your advisee list. They're navigating something really difficult. Like, can I send them down to talk with you? And then helping them get connected to other things. Um, so, you know, I always say it takes a village to raise a child, but it also takes this village to help raise our students. Yes, 100%. I think that is a... Um you know, it has felt like a new world in many ways since CT State, but I think definitely one of the more heartening aspects is just so much more student support that feels like it's in place. Not that there's not more work to do, obviously, mm-hmm. but it does feel it does feel pretty drastic in that regard. Yes, but the thing that I do have to say that I like about and I love about Three Rivers, I don't know if everybody feels this way, but I've always felt like this is more of a family environment, and like I can call on someone. And without hesitation, I'll get help. And you don't find that a lot of other places. I mean, and that's faculty and staff alike. Like I can, example, new student orientations. I'm like, hey, Andrew, can you come and speak about the faculty perspective? And unless you're going somewhere, you never tell me no. So, I mean, I think that having those connections and those conversations are so incredible. And I feel very lucky and blessed that we have that here, or that at least I have that here. I agree with you 100%. One of the things that you mentioned in terms of things that you're excited about in coming into this conversation <laughs> is the LGBTQIA plus community. Yes. Help me out with just one of the letters, which, which is one? the I. So that's intersex. Intersex. And the A is asexual. Yeah, or, yes, asexual. What is it about that community that excites you? 
that's my community. Um, those are my people. Those are my homies. You know, I I always believe that representation is important. So I am very open about the fact that I am married to a, a wonderful woman, um, a beautiful woman who is just my entire world. Um, and I'm honestly the love of my life. Um, her name is Amy. She actually used to work here, uh, but she has since left us because she's mean and works for the Department of Transportation. Outrageous. I know, right? I was like, man. Uh, but she's, I mean, she's thriving up there, which is, which is also awesome uh it's kind of bittersweet for me i think that it's really important that students have a sense of belonging right so when a student who is a member of my community comes to campus they know that this is a place and a space that they fit into where they have people that are members of their community that walk amongst the halls that are part of the staff that are part of the teaching faculty but i also want to be a point of contact for those folks like if you're struggling with something or navigating something, like come and find me. I will find a way to fix it. And if I don't know how to fix it, I definitely know a guy. So like, for example, I had a student that needed a preferred name change and we were able to work that out together and it was done in less than 24 hours. So, you know, I, I pride myself in being somebody who likes to show, wants to show up for my community. I would hope my community would say, yes, she does show up for us. But I just, I love, I love my community because it is always such a beautiful blend of wonderful beautiful humans um so that's why i get excited about it because you know we we're here we are queer and that is what it is uh, i also do nonprofit work for uh for my community so i serve on the board for out ct which is a local lgbtq plus uh serving organization and um you know, I, I enjoy the work. It is something that I find incredibly fulfilling, fun, and it's also, you know, a way to give back. It's a way to give back to folks who came before me, like the folks who had to ride at Stonewall because we were tired of, you know, being pariahs. The folks who have walked this earth and had to fight so that my wife and I could get married, right? Like that's Like, that's what it's about for me. Amazing. I think everybody can hear just how major of a role advocacy plays in your life. Yeah. You also mentioned specifically, <laughs> you also mentioned specifically though, medical advocacy. Can yes. you tell us a little bit about what that means? Um, yes. So in December of, tw- so uh, 2020 was a rough year for everyone. I also had a very rough 2020. So I was noticing some changes in my Uh, my ability to live. Um, I was really struggling to breathe. And at that point, I was a smoker. um, And I was also very overweight. So my doctor kept just saying, oh, it's pulmonary, it's pulmonary. And I was like, yeah, but like, I'm on inhalers and nebulizers and like, nothing's getting better. And my pulmonologist was like, I'm just not seeing it. Um, And I got labeled as having COPD, which is like not a thing that you label 30 year olds with. My pulmonologist was like, I just don't see it. Then in October, um, my one of my best friends who was a nurse uh, was like, Alicia, I just I'm telling you, this is cardiac. Like this is classic cardiac symptoms. I was having some serious fluid retention. Um, and finally, I said to my doctor, I, I said, I, I'm demanding a referral to a cardiologist's office, uh, to which they wouldn't even give me and sent me to have an echocardiogram done and a chest x-ray. That happened on December 11th. It was a Friday. 
That next Monday, December 14th, I was booked with an appointment at a cardiologist's office where the cardiologist was like, yes, you're an active heart failure. We're going to put you on these meds, perform this procedure, and you're going to be fine. Great. Sounds good. Sounds awesome. I have no memories of that week. Well, I shouldn't say no. Spotty memories from that week. Then we had a snow day on December 17th. The college was closed. Um, and I was home and had been up all night with a racing heart. My wife was like, let's just go to the hospital. So we went to the hospital, thankfully. They admitted me right away. And uh, we're actually, because I, I came to Bacchus, which was wild because I only lived 25 minutes from Hartford Hospital, but I drove the 35 minutes to Bacchus probably because it was a comfort place for me. And um, the next day on December 18th, while I was waiting for transportation to Hartford, I suffered a cardiac arrest. So I was... Um, for this trigger warning for folks, um, I was clinically dead for 26 minutes. So they had to bring me back to life. Sounds like a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, I don't remember any of it. (laughs) Um, and then I was in a coma for, for three weeks. And then I, because of that, I now have a pacemaker and defibrillator that was implanted. Um, in my chest and will be with me for the rest of my life. So I have my own pack of EMTs in there, which is super awesome. Uh, But like that really taught me, I mean, it taught me a very valuable lesson. Like you need to listen to your body and you need to advocate for yourself. And if you don't have doctors that aren't listening to you, you need to find new doctors. Um, And I'm so thankful. And I'm going to plug the nursing program here. Uh, The nurse that was on duty that day behind the desk that was looking at the monitors was a three rivers nursing student. Wow. And she saw the warning signs because my heart rate went into torsades. So it looked literally like a streamer, my heart rhythm. Um, and she saw it happening right away. And torsades is actually labeled as instant cardiac death. So the fact that I'm like here walking, talking, having really zero complications for the most part from my cardiac arrest, like I'm a medi- I'm a walking medical miracle in, in a lot of ways. Uh, but thanks to that wonderful student, her name was Trisha. Um, I haven't yet to get to meet her, but she saw the size. She was already calling for a cart to my room. Um, and if it hadn't been for her and her quick thinking and her training as a student or as a nurse, I don't, I don't know what would have happened to me. So we put out good nurses. So if you want to become a nurse, I highly recommend applying for the Rivers Nursing Program. Wow. I can't even so, yeah. imagine <laughs> the i can't even imagine that yes. period uh i maybe you have sort of addressed this but you must think about that experience constantly all the time it it informs it informs everything that i do so like i'm on a boatload of meds now so like for me like staying out until 11 12 o'clock at night like is not is not the look right i have to i need to go home and take my meds so that i have time to process things before i lay down at night I have lots of doctor's appointments all the time. Um, shout out to a really awesome medical team right now, though. Hartford Healthcare. Thank you. You know, I I think about like what that's like for students because, you know, I had for for a while, I also had a pick line with with my heart issue. So I had to walk around with a backpack and I was on 24-7 antibiotic or IV medicine. Um, and that tube would get caught on all sorts of things. And it used to drive me crazy. And I'm like, God, this is like, so it, ma- it made me 
keenly aware of folks who who have to walk around every day navigating disabilities and like making sure that's something I'm thinking about, not just with what I was experiencing, but what like other people are experiencing or might be experiencing. Um, and just like how the world we live in is not set up for a lot of folks to to navigate it, um, able-bodied or not. But yeah, it is... I mean, it's something my, you know, my doctors have talked about possible disability. Um, so, I mean, it is something that literally impacts every decision that I make, everything that I do. I can't, you know, I can't walk, walk through a metal detector anymore um, or be wanded because it'll turn my device off when I, you know, I can't do like I can't do long walks. It's difficult for me. Like I have to take breaks. Um, my stand time is not that great anymore. It's just, it's something I think about all the time. Um, but it's also, it's also given me some perspective on like, I was like, I made it. Like I made it. I'm he like, I have to, once I make it past year five, I'll feel much better. Uh, but we call them our rebirths. So December 18th is my rebirth day. And I celebrate that every year by doing something. Um, this year I will be celebrating it with my team, um, which I'm really excited about. But, you know, it also has given me renewed sense of purpose. Like, this world is hard and life is hard and we're all navigating something. So, like, being nice to people is free. Being kind to people is free. So, like, that to me is what's so more important than anything else is, you know, not not trying to be all things for all people because that's, you know, uh, not healthy, but... If I see somebody in the hallway who's looks sad, just being like, hey, everything okay? Or you look really nice today. Or that's a cool tie. Because I just think it's important. Like people need to know that like they're, they matter and that they're special and that like people see them. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with us. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> uh, you're welcome. Uh, I'm trying to Letting think about it. I'm trying to think about follow-up questions, but there are no follow-up questions. I feel like you captured the, you know, the, just the the strength of your experience. And it's remarkable, I feel like, that you can continue to walk through not just these hallways, but just the hallway of life, you know, with your hel- head held so high and so optimistic and joyful in a way and not just... I had, I started having panic attacks last summer and, you know, once you've had one panic attack, you're constantly afraid of it happening again. And, you know, that's not a life threatening thing, but to have died for 26 Mm -hmm. minutes and then, you know, I would just be trapped in the fear of it happening again. And it seems like you have, I'm not saying that you don't necessarily, but it seems like you've really found a way to persevere, which I think is just incredible. And I don't know what to say. So, um, so I mean, therapy is great. Um, I have an incredible therapist who has helped me through a lot of things. Me too. Shout out Miss Tanya. (laughs) Um, but I also like walk this life every day with depression. Like that's something I have to, you know, live that I, that is something that I, I live with proudly, right? It is, it is a part of who I am and also informs how I show up. So like, it's not a way, like it is a conscious choice to be the person that I am. Um, 
I think that it's also because I, I know what was on the other side of, of what happened to me. And I'm also a part of a support group where I read other people's stories. I mean, I realize how incredibly, incredibly lucky that I am. Um, you know, and sometimes even when I'm, when I'm struggling with things and I'm at home, you know, which is my safe place, uh, my wife will say to me, having you here is better than the alternative. And it's, it's a reminder that like, even though that happened to me, it also had this ripple effect around the people that I love. My wife, my bonus children, my bonus grandchildren, uh, my best friends, my mother, my father, my si- my sister, you know, my nieces, my nephews. Um, and like my relationships with them are different. And, you know, they're thankful that I'm still here. And to them, that was the gift. The gift is that I'm still here. I am still really who I am. I didn't, my personality didn't change. I didn't become bitter. I didn't become angry. Because that's really easy to do when you navigate something that's that's catastrophic or that is that is hard or that is life-changing. And, it, and that just doesn't apply to this situation. That could be that you, you know, get evicted from your home or, you know, your home burns down in a fire or... What you know, whatever that experience may be, it is really easy to live in that area that is that is anger, that is hurt, that is sadness, and some and some days it is very much a conscious effort to not live in that space because it's also not helpful. Like, what? How is that? How is that benefiting me? And I think that this, you know, and and again, I am somebody that is still constantly learning. Like, I am a person that is that is learning to to be better with boundary setting, who is learning to have difficult conversations with people, right? So it is, it is a choice every day to be who I am. Um, and, and I am happy. I am happy with who I am. Um, but I also, I also don't, I used to fear death so much before my cardiac arrest, believe it or not. And I don't, I don't fear it because it, I experienced it. And it was the most peaceful experience because you don't know what's happening. Like my body was literally shutting down and I had no idea. The brain is incredible. Um, Sue, who used to work here in the nursing lab. Oh, her last name is escaping me. She was so, so funny. Um, But she was like, you can't imagine what your brain will do to protect you from trauma. And I'm thankful that my brain did what it did so that I didn't, I don't remember any of that trauma. Wow. <laughs> so sorry that that just got real heavy real fast, but we're doing we're great. We're 48 <laughs> minutes in. We took, there was plenty of build up to okay. that. Thank you so much for sharing. I don't know what else to say other than we are all so very grateful that you are here. Me too. Thanks, guys. Did music, I'm sure music has had to help you. Oh, God, yes. Every, I mean, everything in my, in my entire life can be summarized by some music in some way, shape, or form. Um, so... When I was in the hospital, they used to, they would tell Amy like to play her favorite songs, and and I and I would remember and I remember like moments in I guess when I was in my coma where like that music was impacting what was happening, uh, which is wild. Uh, but like you know. When my wife and I got married, we were very intentional about like our wedding song because she also understands how very important music is to me. Um, so we picked this James Blunt song, which was actually co-written by Ed Sheeran, who's one of my favorite artists. 
And um, it just talks about like the pieces of the song literally described our life. Like there was a moment where he was talking about having to have an uncomfortable conversation with his wife's father and um, like awkward dinner conversation, but that's led us to where we are today. And like in my, in my teenage years, I was really struggling understanding my sexuality and navigating that. Um, So I listened to a lot of like Tegan and Sarah, a lot of Ani DeFranco, a lot of Indigo Girls, you know, lived that train when I'm in the need to when I'm frustrated I listen a lot to like disturbed they're also one of my favorites uh David Drummond's voice is just incredible I have a huge crush on Tom Morello I just love him as a musician as a person um and Rage Against the Machine is also one of my favorite groups I listen to him a lot um when I'm processing things and I'm thinking about things when I am needing to just kind of vibe out and I just want to like be in the moment. I listen a lot to uh, Florence and the Machine, um, Stevie Nicks, Fleetwood Mac. When I'm in my like, I want to jam out and listen to something that's going to give me good energy. I listen to a lot to like 90s hip hop and R&B. Um, I listen a lot to um, like Shaka Khan. I love Shaka Khan. I just discovered Jill Scott because one of my other best friends really loves her. And she's, I've really been enjoying her music recently. And my go-to for long car rides of any sort is uh, 90s alternative rock. It's like my go-to. Gin Blossoms, uh, Toe the Wet Sprocket. My wife actually always laughs because whenever their songs come on the radio, I'm like, God, I love Toe the Wet Sprocket. And she just laughs because she knows it's going to come up every time. Um, And I will sing Hey Jealousy at the top of my lungs because it's one of my favorite Gin Blossom songs. I just, I mean, music is just... You know, I I think about my time in high school and like I was listening to Coolio and Dr. Dre and Wu-Tang Clan. I'm like, you know, Wu-Tang forever. Um, I, you know, I remember when I was dating one of my boyfriend, my boyfriend so long time ago, you know, we started dating and one of our favorite things to do was to listen to Eminem um, together. And when my, when I lost my grandmother, I really, she was like, she was, she was my, she was my person. Um... I listened to I, I listened a lot to Ed Sheeran. I, I dove into his music real deep. Still can't listen to Supermarket Flowers to this day. Um, it's just it's too too real for me. Um, but I love what his song Barcelona is one of my favorites. It's like my um, my dancing and happy happy song. But if I, if I had to tell you my favorite favorite song of all time. Um, no pressure. I didn't ask that. <laughs> no, I know, but I was just thinking. I don't. I. I was like. I'm like. If somebody. I should say. If somebody asked me my favorite song of all time, I honestly don't know if I could pick one. I don't think I could. I don't. I don't think I could pick one. I'm just like, what's my most liked song on Spotify? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or the one you know, whatever has the most plays. Right. I uh, in 2021, I had the idea to listen to one album that I'd never heard before every day. Yeah. So I did 365 albums in 2020. 2021, okay. which was great in the sense that the the thing about doing that is that most music for me, perhaps being a, a pickier individual, for me, most music is fine. But the <laughs> the stuff that that I really, you know, connected with and still listen to and purchased and that kind of thing, uh, you know, I'm really glad that I that I found it. So I've been doing that again this year. Nice. And so we're almost done because we're halfway through November or whatever it is. And uh, 
it's easier than you think because you can do other things while while listening to music. And most albums are 45 minutes-ish. Yes. You know, so... I do recommend it uh, as a, as an experience, but I also wonder, you know, to what degree are these? This year's playlist is really good. It's like two and a half hours long of just songs that have stuck with me. Okay. So uh, I'm gonna actually ask you to share that with me if you feel so inclined. Oh, absolutely. I'm always interested in what other people listen to. Yeah, and I'm always uh, I always feel one of the reasons I think you have clearly wide ranging tastes and I think I'm more inclined to, to stick with the things that I like. So being forced to, I have to hit play on something today, you know, I think has been, has been instructive. Uh, I suggest Amy Winehouse. Mm -hmm. She's also one. I, I go, I go, I listen to her and Adele when I'm going through it. Uh, my wife will know. Cause like I'm playing Valerie on like, you know, 30 decibels. Um, but that's actually, it's not odd that you say that because they've done studies on music listeners and typically by the age of 23, yep. you have discovered the music you want to listen to. So for me to keep discovering new artists and listening to new things is an anomaly. Um, but I just, I like to, I love to consume music. Like that is the thing that I consume more than anything else. Jordan loves her show tunes. We talk about that a lot too, but like I, I consume music all the time. My Spotify wrapped is always all over the place because I just like, it depends. I mean, I also love Foo Fighters. They just released a new song wheels. So good. So good. How do you, how do you sort of do that in terms of having the, the, discipline or maybe maybe for you it's just a real desire that you want to click play on something that you've never heard of before do you have to be intentional about seeking out new stuff or is it just something you sort of do automatically like that's your default I think it's a combination of being in intentional but also my students like every every semester and every year I get a new group of students and I you know I learn things about them like one of my students listens to Frank Sinatra I love that for him. And he's 19. I love that he still, he knows who Frank Sinatra is, uh, but they bring things into, um, into my life. One of my student, my former student workers um, who just recently left was really into Phoebe Bridgers. Uh, but like I started to listen to her music because of that. I was never into Taylor Swift. I was not a Swifty. I'm not a Swifty, but I have started to listen to some of Taylor Swift stuff because of my student workers. So, I mean, it really, it really, it could be a combination of things. It's also um, wanting to sometimes feel something different. I really enjoy listening to lyrics of songs. And Dr. Barfield laughs because one of the songs that I always try to quote on things and he won't let me do it is closing time um, because it's such, it has such a great message and like every new beginning is some other beginnings end. And I think that that's so poetic uh, and every time I try to use it, he's like, Alicia, he's like, we're not using that. Um, but, you know, if you really dive into what some of these artists are saying and, and the things that they're singing about, like, it will resonate with you. Ed Sheeran just put out one of his acoustic albums recently. Um, and there's a song, Curtains, that like, it just, it like, it hit me so hard in my feels that I wasn't expecting it. I like to connect with music in that way. And that's not for everyone. Uh, but I want to know the things that other, I want to hear the other things that people are going through. Cause you know, we, we think about celebrities and music artists and but like, they're just people. They're people that go through some of the things that we do every day, but we, we get to listen to it on a, on an album rather than 
have a conversation with a colleague. Yeah, it is. We've talked on past episodes about the value of, of literature in that regard, which I think goes, it's true for film or television, but you know, it reminds you that you're not alone because mm-hmm. you're seeing other people's experiences and seeing yourself in other people's experience. And I think yep. music, music works the same way. Absolutely. The second <laughs> noun you used to introduce yourself was pizza snob. Yes. Advocate. I was- I was and ins- pizza snob. I was inspired by by your examples. Oh, good, because that's why I <laughs> wanted to talk about it. What do you mean when you describe yourself as a pizza snob? I'm very particular about my pizza. Like, the the only correct answer is New York pizza. Do not come at me with Greek pizza. Do not come at with me with deep dish. Do not come at me with any like New York pizza is the only correct answer. And what defines pizza. New York pizza for those of us not native to the area? New York pizza is a round pizza that is thin crust, that is crispy on the bottom, not burnt, and has a blend of cheeses with a good marinara sauce. It has to be seasoned well. But like, if you come at me with, it's just, nope, not just mozzarella. It's got to have a blend. And that cr- like that crust has got to be real thin, but it's got to have a good, cr- like a good crunch to it, but not burnt. So it's like an art form. Is there a pizza that meets your standards uh, nearby and or in the state? Yes, as a matter of fact. I would hope so. Um, actually, La Stella's in downtown Norwich. I live for their Justin's favorite is my favorite. So good. So good. And Jack's, Jack's Brick Oven Pizza because it's the thin crust. And Jack's, what I like about his is he gets that crust just right. Just right. Actually, I might go get that for dinner tonight. <laughs> The reason I bring it up is because you described yourself as a pizza snob, and my dad lovingly calls me a coffee snob because I'm very particular about my coffee, and I do, you know, we do the whole thing. We get our own beans, we grind it, we've got seven to 12 different brewing methods at home with the exact degree perfect Mm -hmm. water and everything, and I don't think... Again, it's it's a loving yes. description, right, to be called a snob in that regard. But I think it just means being passionate about the good stuff. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, my wife says all the time, I know you're particular. But she's also perfected her pizza recipe. And she bought a pizza oven. When she makes her homemade pizza, it's pretty darn close to New York pizza. She's also learned because she also knows her wife is particular. Um, so yes, I, I I said the pizza snob is like a, as a as a nod to your coffee snob, but I was like, I get that though. Mm-hmm. I totally get that. Do you try to? And maybe this is part of the the snobbishness because <laughs> I want I'm happy to talk to people about how there is better coffee because I would say life's too short for bad coffee. My uncle would say. Say, life is too short to worry about your coffee. So do you try to help people see what you see in certain types of pizza? I mean, I've tried uh, <laughs> endlessly, but my my one, my bonus daughter, love her, Jessica, she loves Greek pizza and I just can't, can't break her of that habit. I've tried so hard. But like when we, so there's two pizza joints close to our house. Uh, we live up, up north a little bit and one of them makes thin crust pizza and one makes like Greek style pizza, which is a little thicker dough. And anytime we go to order from the thin crust place, she's like, oh, is that because Alicia wants pizza? Um, Because if we order from the other place, like I'll get like a a sub or something. So I still still can't convince her. And my wife will literally just eat pizza as long as it's got pepperoni on it. She's happy as a clam. It's her favorite. (laughs) 
Doesn't matter what it is. Yeah, I like clam on the pizza. That's fair. Really quick, because I did want to make sure that we sort of plug this, but you mentioned Professor Hagen previously, and the two of you run a DEI, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, what do you call it, a professional development certification? Or tell us about that. Yeah, so we run run an equity 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 certificate program, um, and we are actually currently working on rebuilding the equity team um, to start doing some more good work on Three Rivers, because we we had done so – pre-pandemic and during the pandemic. And now we're looking to kind of refocus those efforts. But we run a three-workshop certificate program where folks come in. The first workshop is about understanding, like, ourselves and, like, how we kind of show up. The second is about understanding our students, and we actually, like, create fake student profiles. Uh, Pat Keller, our data bartender, as Kevin Kelly calls him, brings in data about our students. And then our third workshop is like, okay, what do we do now? And how do we take these two things that we've learned and apply them into practice? And then we we have folks who participate create action plans because this is the work that we're doing is more than just, hey, I did it. I went to the thing. We want to actually create change on campus. So the action plan allows um, participants to make a project on campus that encourages or makes this campus a more equitable place for students. And we've had some really great outcomes for that. So uh, Professor Vicky Filippo, she has all of her students like share a meal at the end of the semester um, and like talk about their cultures and like it's built this community amongst those people, um, or not those people, but amongst those students and that group of folks. We now say welcome in different languages at commencement because that was um, Mary Ellen and April's project. Faith uh, designed new worksheets for the tutoring center to help students who are dyslexic so that when they're reading them, they're easier to read and, and don't and like give them the opportunity to not have um, have to like, you know, flip words or flip letters. I mean, we've just had some really great projects that have come out of this um, and hoping to continue to have that as we go forward. Awesome. So cool. So our last segment of the flow down is when the guest provides a recommendation for the listeners. That is something they feel the listeners should check out, way of thinking, piece of media, anything really. Alicia, do you have a recommendation for the listeners? My recommendation is this. Everybody, no matter who you are, you need to find 30 minutes a day to do something that fills your cup, whether that's reading, whether that's taking a nap, whether that's crafting. You need to pour into yourself because you cannot pour from an empty cup. So take 30 minutes every day to do something that lights your fire, lights your soul on fire and fills your cup. I love it. What else is there to say? There's nothing left to say. That's it. (laughs) Mic drop. You've heard it here first. (laughs) Alicia, thank you so much for being here and for what you do every single day. Uh, It was a pleasure to talk to you. This was really fun. I enjoyed myself. And thank you for having me. I was, when I got your email, I was like, wow, I'm like, he's picking me. This is so cool. I'm like, I'm so excited. I'm glad to hear that. I was excited to talk to you too. I told you before we started recording that you, despite the fact that we, this is 500% more than we've ever (laughs) talked in both of our careers at Three Rivers. I I had you in mind as my first staff guest, so I'm really grateful that you took the time to be here. 
And thank you to everybody for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please do tell somebody to listen to it. It helps us out a lot. The Flowdown will be going on winter break. Uh, so this is the last episode for the fall 2023 semester. We'll see you back here in February 2024. Uh, and until then, thanks. Thank you. I always feel a little bit lesser than because I don't have many past lives. It was pretty much just lawnmower as a preteen <laughs> and then karate instructor for like two decades before I became an, an English teacher. That's so, awesome. Yeah. I don't mean to nitpick, but I'm going to yes. say maybe just Getting closer. Yep. Okay. You can be as nitpicky as you need to be. All right. I'll cut all this out. Fabulous. <laughs> oh, we're recording right now? Oh, yeah. Ah, that's fabulous. <laughs>